Good morning, Flourishing Grace. If you guys can go ahead and have a seat. All right. My name is Carrie Beck, and I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, through chapter 4, verse 1. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, there should be a blue Bible under the seat in front of you. And you can find that reference on page 1085. All right, if you're able, please stand in reverence for the word of God. All right, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to sorry, press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies ahead or what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction their God is their belly and their glory in their shame, and they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Carrie. All right. Well, good morning again, Flourishing Grace. How are we? Good. It's good to be with you. For those of you who are new, my name is Josh Knight. I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision here at Flourishing Grace. And uh, we're continuing in this series this morning in Philippians that we're calling Indestructible Joy, right? All along, we've seen Paul again and again and again, who's not in a good place, right? Paul's in prison. Um, he's, he's writing to a church in Philippi who's under persecution. And yet Paul has just, this whole letter is just impregnated with just joy. And, he, and again and again and again, we see kind of these little little pictures or little secrets of where Paul's joy is coming from. And this morning, we get to see, once again, uh, an area that Paul has joy in this kind of future vision, this future hope. Paul has placed so much joy there, joy that is indestructible, right? An indestructible joy. But before we get into all of that, I have a question for you. And my question is this, who have you become? Who have you become? 
Right? How would you, if the person sitting next to you kind of leaned over and said, hey, who have you become? How would you answer that question? Most of you would be like, that's a weird question. But, but seriously, who have you become? I think we know this intellectually, but we don't often think about it, that who we are today is not who you were born, right? You weren't born the person you are today, right? You have become who you are. You have been transformed in the person that you are again and again and again. You've been formed by a million different experiences in life, um, your family of origin, the, the town that you grew up in, your cultural context, right? Your passions, your visions, all, all of these things have formed you. Your, your fears have formed you. Fear is an unbelievable former of who we become. Like the things that we learn to fear form many of our actions, right? Uh, so many things along the way form us. Our past failures and sins form us. Our, our victories and our joys form us. The things that we are taught, like who your dad was or who your mom was and the things that are important to them, all of those things have formed them. And all the time, 24-7, 365 days a year, for however many years you've been alive, you've been becoming who you are today. And now here you are. And so who, who have you become? Who have you become? I love how uh, uh, theologian and philosopher Dallas Willard puts it. He says it this way. He says, the most important thing in your life is not what you do, it's who you become. That's what you will take into eternity. And I want to make the case this morning that uh, you are constantly being formed into the patterns of this world. And most of the time, we don't even realize that we're constantly being formed. Like, this is not something that we think about on a regular basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. Usually, we just kind of click the, like, formation autopilot button and just go through life. Because let's be real, things have to get done around the house, right? Your kids have to get out of bed in the morning and get dressed and hopefully brush their teeth. Maybe, like, five mornings out of seven, they brush their teeth, right? And get out the door and get to school. And before that, you got to shovel the driveway because it's starting to snow. And there's, like, a million things, and then I gotta go to work, and then after work, I gotta take the kids to whatever practice they have to go to, and then I gotta get home, and I gotta get dinner cooked, and then we gotta get them in a bed, and hopefully they get a bath at least one day a week. All right, we gotta get it done. We just gotta get it done. There's a million things, and there's 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 things on your agenda all day long, and people at the office want different things from you, and there's just so much happening in life. It's like it's just easier just to kind of click autopilot on formation and just kind of like live your life. And just be formed by whatever forms you and just not think about it and just become whoever you're becoming and just whatever, who cares? And all day, every day, there's a million little things that seem insignificant that are forming us and shaping us. And most of these things are happenstance. There's coincidence. But there's also a number of things every single day that, are, that we are experiencing that are happening to us that are intentionally forming us, right? Every billboard on the highway, every commercial on television, everything you see when you open your phone right, is forming you intentionally. The world has a vision for your life to form you in a person. Right, right now, uh, the midterm elections are coming up. Right, this week, midterm elections. I know everybody's excited about that. Right? We just can't wait to get out of here and think more about midterm elections. Don't worry, we're not going to talk about midterm elections. But here's what I want you to see, right? Even in this, even in this, we are being formed. Over here on the far left, all my Democratic friends in the room, on, on every Every Democrat on every platform in every state is banging the same drum, right? They're saying the same thing on every speech, every politician. What's at stake? Democracy. Democracy is at stake. 
Don't you realize democracy's on the ballot? It's at stake, da 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 right? And, and there's something deep in us that's been formed in us since we were young men and young women, if you grew up in this country, that democracy is a really, really valuable thing, okay? That's been formed in us to value democracy, all right? And, and, and over here, they're saying, man, I'm going to lose that if I don't vote for them. But then over here, my friends on the right are banging a similar drum, and every single politician on every single stage on the right is saying, America's at stake, right? If you don't vote for me, we're going to lose America and our values and the things that we hold so dear about our country, right? And so, so there's something in me as a young man, as a young boy, I grew up believing that America's a really valuable thing. In fact, there's this phrase that I was taught when I was growing up. It's called American democracy. And it's like the people on the left were like, we get democracy. And the people on the right were like, we get America. And it's like, man, now I have to choose. Which one do I want to pick? I don't know. They're both at stake. Do you see what's happening? These things have been formed in us. Can now these deep heart strings that we have if they just pull on them in the right way, these harp strings can be played like harp strings and they can get you to do what they want you to do, okay? Which one do you value more, America or democracy? I mean, if you don't vote for me, you're gonna lose one, okay? This is what's happening. Uh, we're being formed all day, every day, and that formation is something that people can take advantage of. You are far more formed in the way of the world than you know. Never once stopping to think, who's leading me, and more importantly, who am I becoming? That's the most important question that we must ask. I said earlier, the world has a vision for your life. The world wants you to be greedy and unrestrained, an anxious consumer addicted to the dopamine rewards of the next great thing that you're going to buy or find or acquire. Satan has a vision for your life. He wants you to be a self-centered person constantly worried about you know, the next thing that you can grasp for yourself, a greater power, greater sex, greater comfort. Man, everything must be about you. You are the victim in your story, and it's all about you. But friends, listen, Jesus has a vision for your life, that you would know him, that you would experience the power of his resurrection, that you would become like him in his sufferings and even become like him in his death. And that by any means possible, you would obtain the resurrection from the dead. He wants you to know him. He has a vision for your life. And Paul has adopted this great vision for his life to know Jesus. And that Jesus would be formed in him. That the person of Jesus would be formed in Paul. That's his great vision. And vision drives formation. I want you to see this this morning. I want you to know this this morning because your greatest vision in your life is going to drive your formation. If your greatest vision is you as a, as a business leader, right, that's going to dictate the bulk of your formation. It's going to be the books you read, the things you study, the news you watch. It's all going to be about how to form you into a great business leader. If your vision is for you as a mom, right, it's going to dictate the bulk of your formation, but Paul says, my vision is Christ in me. I want to know him. I want to become like him in his sufferings, even become like him in his death, sharing in a death like his. 
that by any means possible I would obtain the resurrection of the dead. Paul has a great vision for his life, and it dictates his formation. It dictates how he lives his life. This is the end goal, that we would become just like Jesus. This text today is all about greater vision and greater formation. And so what I want to do, do is I just want to walk through and ask a few questions that I think the text answers really clearly concerning vision and formation. And the first is this. What does Paul want? What is his vision? What is he looking at? And we see it. I already kind of quoted it several times in verse 10. Right? It says, that I may know him, Jesus, in the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's greatest desire is simply Christ, that Christ would be formed in him, that the image of Christ would be imaged in Paul, that when the world looks at Paul, they would see Jesus, and that Paul would grasp Christ, would know him intellectually. I love how um, pastor and theologian G. Walter Hansen puts it, Um, In his commentary on Philippians, he says this. He says, ever since Paul was grasped and apprehended by Christ, right, road to Damascus, Paul was grasped and apprehended by Christ. He, Paul, has desired to grasp and comprehend Christ. Ever since Paul was grasped on the road to Damascus and said, man, Jesus now has got a hold of my life. Paul's been trying to get a hold of Jesus. I want to grasp him. I want to know him, right? And then he goes on and says, but to know the incomprehensible greatness of Jesus demands a life of arduous inquiry every day working to know him. Paul's desire to gain Christ and be found in him and to know Christ engages him in an intimate relationship with Christ that is a dynamic process of intellectual apprehension and moral transformation, right? His formation is driven by his vision. His vision is to know Christ, but how does that form him? It forms him into a person who's living every single day of his life, every single day of his life, developing a deeper and deeper intimacy, a deeper and deeper relationship He's doing this wrestling every single day in his heart and in his mind to know Christ because that's his vision. So all of his formation is dictated by his vision. Are you seeing this? Is this confusing? I can't tell. I mean, a minute ago, you guys were all awake. You guys got an extra hour of sleep. You're all bubbly. You're all lively. Now you won't talk to me anymore. It's fine. What Paul wants more than anything is to truly know Jesus, to gain Christ, to be found in him. A deep union, a uniting with Jesus completely, totally, in every way, every second. Intimate relationship with Jesus. Paul wants to be transformed into the image of Christ. The one consuming goal or vision of the Christian life is to be formed into the image of Jesus. This means we learn to love what he loves, to hate what he hates, to feel what he feels, to see how he sees, to want what he wants, respond how he responds, become like him in every way. That is the great vision and goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is not um, to become a great business leader. 
The goal of the, great, of the Christian life is not even your, your, your marriage. The goal of the Christian life is not even your kids. The goal of the Christian life is not even you as a mom or you as a dad. This is not the goal of the Christian life. This is not. When I ask the question, man, who are you becoming? Most of the time, we want to start, if somebody leaned over you and said, who have you, who have you become? Right? We would start with either our career or our family, our family status, like who we are in our family. Right? What you do for work, I'm a pilot, I'm a nurse, I'm a whatever, right? That's who I've become. Or I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, right? But the goal of the Christian life is bigger than all of those things. It's, it's, and it's none of those things. Yes, I want my kids to grow up and be happy and healthy and to love Jesus, but that's not the ultimate goal of the Christian life. The ultimate goal of the Christian life is Christ, that I would become like Christ. And then as my kids see me become like Christ, that they would also desire to become like Christ. Every day, giving myself to the way of Jesus, radically knowing him, gaining more of his likeness, this is the vision we hold as Christians. However, the reality is, for many of us who call ourselves Christians, we know this isn't true. It's not true, right? We say all the time that we love Jesus, um, but we prioritize our parenting over prayer. We will sacrifice the word for more time at work or Saturday afternoon sports for Sabbath. It's not our ultimate goal, and our formation, our formation declares that. The things that we're being formed into declare that that's not our ultimate vision. It's not our ultimate goal. It doesn't mean that it's not a goal, it's just not the ultimate goal. And so there's other areas of formation in our life that are far outpassing our formation into the image of Christ because we have greater visions for other things in our life. We need to be a people who can understand and say with honesty, with truth, right now in my life, what is my greatest goal and my greatest vision? If we can't answer that question, we are not on pace. We're not being formed in the image of Christ. And we need to find out what other visions in my life and what other goals in my life are competing with this vision so we can put those goals and those visions aside or maybe even put them to death in order to become more like Jesus. Now, second question is, what does Paul do, right? As a, as a, as a response to this great vision that he has, what does he do? Verse 13, we see this. One thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love this, right? Paul forgets what yesterday was and he strains forward towards today because he knows that who he was yesterday is an enemy of who he can become today. What I mean by that is this, Satan would love would absolutely love for you to think that, man, I screwed up far too much yesterday to ever become like Jesus today. He would love for you to believe that. Satan would love for you to look at your life yesterday and whatever sin you lived in yesterday and say, man, I blew it far too much yesterday. Instead of reading the word, I had to get that project done at work. Instead of, instead of being passionate about Jesus, I was passionate about yelling at my children, right? I, I, just, I screwed up far too much yesterday in order to become more like Jesus today. 
But we know that's not true. We've sung it this morning. We've declared it this morning. We came forward and we participated in an act that declares that over our life, that his grace covers us 24-7, that his mercies are new every morning, that Christ wants to do a work in me today. And so I can forget what lies behind. I can strain forward to what lies ahead. I can put that vision in my mind and say, that's what I want to be. I want to be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. And I can forget what, about what happened to me yesterday. And I can press on to what he's going to do in me today. If yesterday was a complete waste of your life, it probably was for some of us. Today can be glorious in Christ, but we have to go after it. We have to go after it. How do we do that? Next question. What does Paul call his audience to? How do we do this, right? Look at verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Brothers, join in imitating me. Paul says, follow me as I follow Jesus Fix your eyes on me. If you can't see that vision, if you can't have this vision of cross in your life, you say, that's too great. I'll never get there. Paul says, just look at me. As I follow Christ, look at me. Follow me. I will show you the way. Paul is passionate about his audience, the church in Philippi, and really every follower of Jesus. The image of Christ being formed in them. He's passionate about it. I love how he puts it in Galatians 4. He says it this way. He says, my little children... For whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul says, I am in the most intense pain I can possibly imagine until Christ is formed in you, right? Now I know, ladies, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I know that, right? He's just imagining in his mind, what's the most intense pain I can think of? Childbirth. He doesn't know, but that's, you know, he's right in thinking that that's the worst pain that he could possibly think of, right? Amen? Yes? right? And he's like, that's what this feels like. This unbelievably intense pain, this unbelievably, this heartache that I have until Christ is imaged in you, until he's formed in you, until your life looks like the life of Christ. Paul has a vision for the church in Galatia. He has a vision for the church in Philippi. It's the same vision that he wants you to have. Uh, Recently, I was on a flight uh, coming home, and I finally got to watch a movie that I've been wanting to watch for a long time, right? When you're not uh, with your kids, you can watch a movie that's not a cartoon. Um, And so I got to watch a movie that I've wanted to watch for a long time. Uh, It's the movie King Richard. Anybody seen King Richard? Anybody see? Oh, yeah, from a few of you, right? It's about, it's about the dad of Venus and Serena Williams and, and how he raised his girls to be the greatest tennis players, female tennis players of all time by a significant margin, right? And before they were ever born, what did, what did Richard Williams have for his daughters? A vision and a plan, right? He had a vision for their life. And he like wrote it out. He wrote out a full plan of formation based on a vision he had for their life. And from the moment they were born, he just worked the plan of formation. From the moment they were born, he kept the vision in front of them. And he didn't say, hey, look at these great tennis stars. You're going to be like them someday. He said, no, look at me. We're going to the court right now today. Come rain or shine like we're going. Follow me as I follow the plan right? Watch me as I keep my eye on the vision. And it wasn't until later in his life when he began to place that vision in front of them and say, you are going to become great. You're going to become the greatest in the world. You're going to become the greatest who's ever been, 
right? And he protects them in every way. He protects their formation. He never allows them to think that because they are women, they're never going to become great. He never allows them to think that because they're black, they're never going to become great, right? He takes a beating multiple times and just gets up and is just like, I will not let my daughters see me cry. I will not let my daughters see me in pain. I will never let them think that there's that they're going to be anything less than great. They're, they're going to see what they're going to see this great vision, and I'm going, to, I'm going to protect their formation in every single way, in every single way. And that's what he does for his entire life: protects the vision, protects the formation, so that one day they become the greatest tennis stars of all time. Who in your life has a vision for Christ in you? Who in your life is willing to go to those lengths so that Christ might be imaged in you? That the person of Jesus would take full form inside of you? Who's passionate about that in your life? Who in your life is chasing after that? Who in your life is going after that? Who in your life is saying, come follow me? Like, do you have that person in your life? that has a vision, and they're and they so passionate about it, it dictates all of their formation, and they're carefully living every moment of their life to make sure that tomorrow looks more like Jesus than today. Now, we got to find that person. You need that person in your life. And maybe you've surrounded yourself with people who say, I love Jesus, but Christ in them is not their greatest vision. You need to find the person who says, Christ is the greatest vision in my life. And follow them as they follow Christ. Somebody who at all costs is going to protect the vision and protect the formation and say, let's go. Let's get in this. Let's do this together. What's the alternative? What's the alternative? Verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, Walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, and their God is their belly, and, their, and they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. This is the formation of the world, right? Their God is their belly. Their vision, their vision is something that they've created. It's their own hunger. It's their own thing. Right? My greatest vision is, is who I'm going to become in my career, my greatest vision is my bank account. My greatest vision is that future house or those future toys. Their God is their belly. Like, this is my greatest vision, and I'm going to chase after this thing, and I'm going to pursue this thing. Right? That's what Paul's saying. And who are these people? Paul says they're enemies of the cross. And when you first read that, you think, oh, my goodness. Like, these people, they're like goblin creatures living in the woods, like sucking the blood of children or something. Like, who are these creepy people? Enemies of the cross. That sounds terrifying. Paul says, even with tears, I tell you. He's not crying about some creepy people who are enemies of the cross. He's crying about people who profess to be Christians. And their God has become their belly. They don't have a vision for the image of Christ in them. They have an image of the world in them. Paul says, this breaks my heart. Because they're pursuing all the wrong things. They're chasing after all the wrong things. Their God has become their belly. These Christians are following all of the wrong things. They say, I love Jesus, but their greatest vision is something other than Christ. Their greatest vision is 
who they can become as a mom. Their greatest vision is who they can become as a business leader. Their greatest vision is, is the ranks that they can achieve in their career. Their greatest vision is, is something they can own someday. I love Jesus. But ultimately, their greatest vision is not Christ. What if the greatest vision in your life was Christ in you? How would it change the things that you do on a daily basis? How would it shift the way you think and act? If the greatest vision of your life was that you would become like Jesus, that you would know him, that you could identify with him, even in his sufferings and even in his death, what if that was the greatest image of your life? All I want is to become just like Jesus in every way, shape, or form. Paul says, what do we need in order to get there? We need a great vision. This is what Paul lays in front of his audience. In verse 20, kind of the last question, right? How, how do we get there or how do we live free of this? He says this in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to become like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul gives them a greater vision. He says, you realize that, that even, even though that these, these people over here, that with their minds set on earthly things, we can set our minds on our true home, our true future place. This is not our home. And so the things that you're working for, your greatest vision, if your greatest vision is an earthly vision, it's a temporary vision. If your greatest vision is what you're going to accomplish in this lifetime, it will not echo into eternity. And the only vision that you can hold that will echo into eternity is Christ. That Christ would be the driving force of your entire life. That Christ would be the vision of your soul. And that you would say, man, everything in my life, that when he returns, when my king returns to call me home, he will recognize me because he'll see himself in me. Because I've known him all along. From the day that he got a hold of my life, I've been trying to get a hold of him. And through that process, through that vision, has come a great formation, a transformation, where every day we're becoming more like Jesus. Because if Jesus is the greatest image in your life, the his, him in you, him forming himself in you, it drives us. It drives us to prayer, because we can't do this without him. I want to know him. It drives me to the, his word, because I want to know what he's like. I want to study his life. I want to know what he knew. I want to see what he saw. I want to believe what he believed. I want to do what he did. I want to think like he thought. I, I, I want to participate in all the areas of my life. I want to react like he reacted. So we must know him. It drives us to the word. It drives us to prayer. It drives us to solitude. Places where we can just be alone and reflect. I mean, what's, what's calling for my heart? What's challenging my vision? Where have I... Where have I where have my eyes wandered? Where have I begun to believe that something might be greater? All other visions are temporary visions. 
but Christ being formed in me. That's an everlasting vision. It will echo into eternity. Friends, let's do this. Let's just bow our heads for a minute. And I want you to seriously consider for a moment. I want to just give you a minute to ask the question, what is your truly, what is your greatest vision in life? When you are lying in bed at night and can't fall asleep because it's daylight savings, what are you pondering on? What dreams are out there in the distance in the future? What keeps you awake? What have you imaged in your mind? What's bringing you anxiety and stress? If you could snap your fingers and become anyone, who would you become? What is your greatest vision in life? I'm going to give you a minute to ask the Savior of the world to transform that vision. you would see him high and lifted up, crowned in glory. I want you to give you a minute to ask him to make him in you the greatest vision of your life. There's no one like you. Never has been, never will be. You are before all things, and in you all things hold together. You are the creator and the sustainer of the universe. You've always been, and you always will be. You are the alpha and the omega. This morning, in this room, I pray that there is confession in repentance. Confession that we have allowed lesser visions and lesser dreams to, to become primary in our life. That we have loved things above you. Would we just be people that can admit that and know that and lay that before you? And repent of those things, turn back to you. And the truth is, Jesus, on, on my own, on our own, we will always struggle to have you as the greatest vision of our life. The one who is truly worthy of being the center will always be pushed away because this world has a vision for my life and I'm tempted to follow it. Satan has a vision for my life and I'm tempted to follow him. Would you guard us and protect us? Would you keep us from the evil one? Would we want to be like you? all day, every day, would that be 
Would that be the drum that we bang every day? Would you remind us every morning of your greatness and your glory, your kindness towards us, your mercy towards us? And would we want to be like you? Would we we want to be a tender people, a kind people, a loving people, a people who pour out themselves every single day, everywhere we go, engaging with the world around us for, for your glory, for your fame, for your renown? Would you make us more like you? I pray these things in your sweet name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Flourishing grace, let's stand. We must sing one last song to him and over one another before we go.